a joy to be here. Appreciate Dr. Goble letting me stand in his pulpit. And by the way, I've been practicing Dr. Goble in my head all day. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Let me, let me just, he mentioned those two things. Uh, number one, if you go to Ricardo's house in, in Tornave, Honduras, you walk in, there's this big picture of Eric Goble <laughs> on the wall. Uh, when you go in, I, it sort of ruins the decor as far as I'm concerned, but... Uh, right there when you walk in, there's a big picture of Eric Goble, and, uh, and in Belize, uh, that piece of property that you helped buy now has a building on it. Uh, uh, some of the kids from uh, Columbia uh, Christian went down for their senior trip to Belize. They helped uh, get benches built and put a floor in that building, and there's been some other help that's come along, and they have a church building with pews and and uh, you had a part in it, and you should be proud of that fact. Uh, it's a struggling congregation. It's difficult. It's just difficult. Uh, they are the Garifunas. It's a Garifuna congregation, and they're the poorest of the poor. And they're basically looked down upon by just about everybody. But they've got them a good pastor. It's, it's one of those unique services you go to. He preaches in three languages every service. And if you don't think that's confusing, uh, I, I've gone there before, and I'll say, okay, what are we going to do? And, and uh, I, I, well, he says, well, what do you want to do? So I say, well, okay, I'll preach in English and translate myself to Spanish. You need to translate my Spanish to Garifuna. And so we'll do that. And, and uh, it, it's, it's still confusing. But, but anyway, he's, he's a, a faithful man of God. He has a unique preaching style. He listens to a lot of American preachers, and his favorite is... is um, uh, is it Pastor Jake or what's his name? Huh? Yes, that's his preaching style. Sounds just like him. <laughs> but anyway, let me tell you about the work. Let me first say to you, we have uh, the BMA has uh, a mission work going on in over 70 different countries of the world. Now, I'm the, I'm the field coordinator for Latin America and the Caribbean, and so I'm going to speak to you a little just about that part of the world that I'm more responsible for. If you go and hear Brother Jeremy on Thursday, he'll be talking about another area of the globe, and, and let me tell you, he is a very good speaker. You ought to make an effort to be there, and what they're doing in New Guinea is, is really interesting, so uh, uh, he, you need to go if you can. He's a, he's a guy I respect and like and have known for several years. I think you'd enjoy uh, hearing him. But uh, under my purview, there's about 22 countries that you have a presence in. The BMA has a presence in. In the Caribbean, we have a presence in Haiti, in Cuba, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. In North America, we have in Mexico. In Central America, we have a presence in Nicaragua, El Salvador, Costa Rica, Honduras, Guatemala, Belize. In South America, we have a presence in Panama, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Venezuela, Colombia, Bolivia, Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay. A lot of people didn't know we had that much presence in that part of the world. And, and, and let me tell you, a lot of people have a false conception of what work, the work looks like in Latin America uh, because most of the Hispanics that we have contact with in the United States are Mexican immigrants who come from a uh, um, uh, very low-income bracket. But that isn't a, a correct representation of all our works. In Chile, 
uh, our, all of our churches are among the middle class or upper middle, uh, people who are professionals uh, in Puerto Rico. Uh, the church that we started uh, some 20-something years ago is mainly composed of uh, professional people, college professors, doctors, nurses, school teachers, uh, engineers. Uh, so it, it's, uh, it's just like in the United States. It's all economic levels. It's all cultural levels. Uh, in Latin America, where we work, there are, we work in four different language areas. In the countries that we have works in, the, uh, French is spoken, French, English, Spanish, and Portuguese. Uh, and then, a, and, and who knows how many uh, sub-language group or dialects. Of course, Garifun is one of those dialects, but uh, there's all kinds of dialects and, and language that are, uh, cultural language that are spoken by indigenous people. And so it's, 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 a, it's a huge undertaking. But let me tell you what I think is the most interesting change that has happened in the last generation. Because you're going to be surprised to hear what I'm going to tell you. Of those 22 countries I've mentioned, only one has an American missionary right now. One. You say, well, that, that sounds like we've been pretty unsuccessful. No, no, no. That sounds like we've been really successful. Because a missionary's job is to work himself out of a job. And we've pretty much successfully done that. Uh, now, we still uh, uh, are with them. We still let them know we're, we're, we support them with our finances. If you read about the change makers, uh, those were the, the title we're, we're using to, to designate these uh, men, these nationals that are serving in their own country. Uh, but the things have progressed. Uh, you know, they, they, a lot of our works are not brand new. Uh, the work in Mexico is over 60 years old. The work in Brazil is over 60 years old. The work in Costa Rica is over 60 years old. There's some others that are pretty much brand new, Venezuela, uh, Argentina, there's other ones that are pretty new, but we've had a presence in, in some of these countries for, for over 60 years. And now they're conducting their own missions. We've made an effort this year uh, for them to form their own uh, national associations and choose their own missionaries and send their own missionaries. Some of our countries are sending foreign missionaries. Costa Rica has sent a missionary to Peru. Mexico sent a missionary to Venezuela. Guatemala sent a missionary to Colombia. And so uh, it's a neat thing to watch develop. Uh, of course, uh, what I've been most uh, excited about watching is the work among the Garifunas. And, and I, I, I don't know how many of you have been in the church long enough. If you've been here a good long while, you've heard me speak about the Garifunas from this pulpit. They are a, uh, an indigenous group in, uh, that exists only in the countries of Honduras and Belize. Uh, there are about, in the world, about 45 communities that are basically Garifuna communities. They are black-skinned people. Uh, their heritage is from Africa. Uh, they speak their own dialect. And when we began to work with them in the early 80s, and yes, I am that old, when we began to work with them in the early 80s, uh, they didn't have the Bible in their language. They had nothing was written. Um, their villages were mainly uh, no electricity, no running water, a thatched roof, bamboo walls on their, on their homes. Uh, they progressed economically during that time. Now the houses are better. But another amazing change has happened. When we first went there, um, they still were practicing their version of voodoo. It's called the gu in their language. Uh, they were basically, they were in fact uh, listed as an unreached people group. And to qualify as an unreached people group, you have to have less than 3% evangelicals. 
So less than 3% evangelicals. From the, they, and thing, but things started changes about the time we, the Lord led us there. And in 1983, the Wycliffe Bible translator finished the, the New Testament in Gadifana. She'd been working on it for over 30 years. She also took me as a language student and taught me how to uh, speak the language. And, and uh, from that time, uh, things began to grow. We, we, we put the, the Jesus film in, in the Garifuna language. And, and now uh, you go to those villages there, you, you'll find Garifuna pastors who have been trained in Bible institutes, who know the Bible. You'll hear them singing hymns that they have written because there was no music uh, hymns in, in Garifuna, they've written their own music, they put it to their own rhythm, and they, they have a very uh, specific rhythm that is part of their, their uh, community and their culture. Um, it, they, they, it's uh, based on drums, as you might expect, since their heritage is African. Uh, there's a neat little story about those drums. The drums, when we first started working with the Garifunas, were used for only two things. One was for wakes. And wakes among the Garifunas were mainly drunken binges. You would go and drink all night and, and, and dance. They had a particular dance they danced called punta, a real um, obscene way of dancing. That's what they did with drums. And the other thing they used drums for were for the voodoo services. So after we'd been meeting for a couple of years, they came to me and they said, could we use drums in church? And I said... A white American has no right to tell you if you can or you can't. What do you think? And they said, well, we don't think the devil should be the owner of our drums. I said, well, what do you think then? I think we ought to use drums in our church service. So in came the drums, out went the piano, and now you go to a, you go to get even a church service, there's going to be drummers, and almost every preacher who has a son has a drummer because preacher sons are expected to be able to play the drums. And so uh, the drums are going. There's a, one real big drum, a medium-sized drum, and a bongo drum, and then the t- other traditional instruments are a turtle shell and a conch shell. And uh, they're very musically inclined. And uh, it, it, their services, oh my goodness, you ought to go to a Garifuna service. If you just want to smile, just go to one of their services. No one stands still. I, and I would dare you to try to stand still in a Garifuna song service. Uh, but the neat thing is they've continued conducting missions. They've been reaching out to their own people. And they do things all the way different than we would ever think of doing. They're very community-minded people. And uh, when they're going to go to a mission to help it, what they do, all the pastors just pile into a bus, and they go to the town where they're going to help, and uh, they go there, and they ask the pastor or the missionary, well, what do you need? And they say, well, the roof leaks. And so they all get out, and they put a new roof on the church building, maybe build a new pulpit, and then have services at night. And they spend like a week or maybe two weeks they're helping the guy out, and then when they leave, they've got a pastor that's pumped up and ready to go. It's not the way we would do, but it's what works for them. And the neat thing for me is to go back now. I'm not needed. When I go back, they don't need me for anything. Uh, I'm sort of um, like the, 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 the weirdo, you know, that comes back. The, used to, I knew all of the kids in all the villages. And now the kids have grown up, and now they have kids. And uh, they've heard about this legendary person, this, this white guy that speaks their language. But they've never seen him. And so when I go back, the parents drag their poor kids out in the streets and point at me and say, that's the one. <laughs> I love it, though. I love it. But uh, the neat change is when we went there, 
uh, we were, we were, of course, no one knew us. We, we were the wrong color. We were preaching the wrong doctrine. And uh, it, it, we were starting from scratch, like I say, a, an unreached people. And now I go back. An entire generation now has grown up in church. An entire generation. And it is so amazing to go back and see what the gospel does. Because in those villages where they would make fun of me and, and call me names and, and ignore me, I go now and I love to walk through town with the pastor. Because one of the pastors in particular, you walk through town. There's not really streets. They're just houses just scattered out. And you walk through there and every house you go by, someone yells out, God bless you. You take another 15 steps and someone says, God bless you. And you take another 15 steps and someone says, God bless you. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not what it used to be like. But isn't it wonderful what the gospel has done? But, you know, that's just one example. We, our, our works in Latin America, some are in big cities. Our work in Chile is almost entirely concentrated in the, in the metropolis of Santiago. Uh, and Mexico is a good example. We have very uh, uh, we have churches composed of professional folks in the capital. We have we have um, uh, churches among the Huastecas, which are an indigenous group. Uh, we have poor folks. We have rich folk. We have educated folk and people that haven't been able to educate themselves formally. Uh, so when you think of Latin America, I know most of us think of the brown-skinned people we see in Walmart. And yes, they, they are Hispanics. That is true. But they are not representative of all Hispanics. It's, a, it's a, 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 a very different topography, just like it would be impossible for someone to come and, and, and form their entire opinion of the United States by coming to Magnolia. It would not be correct to form your opinion of what's going on in, in, in the world of, of Latin America by a just one people group. Uh, we have some great leaders. It's my, my, the job I have is, is a dream job. I go, I work with my heroes. I go down there and I tell them, you know, a lot of times some of these guys work in, in just complete isolation. We have, in the country of Colombia, we have one missionary. Venezuela, one missionary. Argentina, one missionary. And you go in there and they just need someone to put his arm around their shoulders and say, you're doing a good job, buddy. You're doing a good job and praying for them and, and giving them ideas and let them bounce ideas off you. I, I, I don't know exactly how to describe what I'm doing. Uh, I'm, I'm mentor. I'm, I'm counselor. I'm, I'm shoulder to cry on. And, and sometimes I'm the guy that, that, that brings the news. I just don't think you're doing just what you ought to do. And I can do that, too, when I have to. Uh, but there's some great men serving the Lord. And, and, and when you support missions, you support them. Uh, I wish you could meet at least half a dozen of them. Uh, you'd be proud uh, of the men that, that are serving the Lord and serving the BMA and all throughout Latin America. I'm going to tell one more story. I'm, I, brother, I don't want to take your time. Uh, it's only fair. You're the preacher, and that's the number one reason we're here. And so I'm not going to take any more of your time, but I want to tell you this one story, and I'll quit. <clears throat> Argentina, we have a work that was begun. It's sort of... Uh, as a continuation of a work of a man named Don Vicente. I met Don Vicente when he was nearly 90 years old. He's the father of our missionary there. He was the first Christian in his family and basically the first Christian in the entire, entire area of Argentina where they lived. And I asked him one time, I loved talking to the man. He's gone on to be the Lord now, but every time I'd go, I'd, I'd sit down by him and I'd start asking questions, get him to tell me stories. And I asked him, how were you saved? And he said, well, he said, I had married my third wife. He had been widowed twice. And he said, the wife I'm with now is my third wife. And he said, we hadn't been married very long. And I was still, he said, I still thought I was sort of a, 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 
galang, I don't know how you say galang in English, uh, uh, a gentleman of the, of the uh, gadabout town, uh, gad, gadfly, is that a word? Okay, anyway, a party goer. We'll just leave it at party goer. He liked to go to the, to the dances and, and drink and all that. And anyway, he woke up one night and, and he heard his wife crying next to him in bed. And he asked her why she was crying. And she said, with all that you're doing and all the things that you're getting involved in, she said, I just don't know how this is going to end. And he said, we're taking care of this tomorrow. They got up the next day and he says, we're going to find us a Christian somewhere. And they started out walking and walked two days. They came to a little town. They went and said, is there any Christians here? And they said, well, there's one. He owns a little shop over here. And went over to that shop and, and uh, uh, told the guy, I'm, I'm trying to find out what I need to do to get right with God. And, and he clothed, that Christian guy clothed his shop and said, come on in, buddy. And he sat down with him, explained to him the plan of salvation. Next day, him and his wife were both converted. They went back. And they couldn't find a place to go to church except one that was a five-hour walk away. Now, let me tell you where they lived. They lived up in the mountains. We went to the family home last time we were there. It's just on a cliffside of a mountain, and there's nothing there. And that's where they lived. And so to get to church, they had to walk five hours. And so they would get up with their kids. This is about 11,000 feet elevation, snow in the wintertime. They would get their kids up and carry them and walk five hours to church and then five hours back. But he said he got the feeling guilty because he said he wasn't doing anything at church. So they got up an hour earlier so they could get there in time to sweep out the church building and get all the chairs arranged so he could feel like he was doing something. He ended up being the pastor of that church and then the father of the man who is our missionary there in Argentina. And, you know, I could tell you a dozen stories just as neat as that. These are the people that you support through BMA Missions. You know, World Mission Sunday's coming up. I hope you're thinking about and planning on doing your part. If we all do our part, then the Lord's work will continue to prosper. Well, it'll prosper with or without us. But wouldn't you like to be part of it? Thank you, Brother Eric, for the opportunity.